You're listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast, conversations on faith, life, and leadership. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. One of Timothy's primary pastoral tasks at Ephesus was dealing with the spread of false teaching. It's not the first time Paul has brought up that topic, but he does so again in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He reminds Timothy of the simple gospel message and that it is central to true faith. Pastor Jim explores how to hold on to that simplicity in a world that's awash with controversy and conflict and false teaching as well. He reminds us that we are not competitors, but stewards of the truth. He calls us back to the truth that God knows who is his and that those who truly follow him will pursue holiness. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for listening. Well, Pastor Jim, it's great to be together again. And uh, continuing our look at Second Timothy, we're in the middle of chapter two and uh, plenty to be talking about. It's been fun just to sort of take it section by section and, and realize how much there is in, in these letters to be able to unpack. So it's uh, a privilege to be able to be doing that again this week. And we appreciate everybody who listens and tunes in uh, as we uh, just plod through Scripture right now. And I use the plod word plot in the best we're enjoying of intentions. Plotting, so, yeah. we enjoy plotting <laughs> yeah i think it was william carey the father of modern missions he says uh when i'm buried just put on my tomb he was a plotter mm. even though he sort of changed the world but um it's good to plot yeah well we are once again coming back to a familiar topic to these letters which is in the middle of chapter two paul turns again to the topic of false teaching um it seems like here he's specifically thinking about a particular false teaching that has something to do with uh, t- false teaching around resurrection. Maybe you could unpack a little bit of that. Um, again, false teaching kind of being at the center of concerns going on for Timothy in Ephesus. Uh, the false teaching around resurrection was probably an outgrowth of a Gnostic worldview in which the material was considered less important, if not evil, and the immaterial uh, was elevated. And so this idea that God would take a material body and resurrect it. Uh, uh, There would not be a lot of room for that kind of idea. Uh, We see Paul dealing with this in 1 Corinthians 6, where some of the supposedly Christian men in in, in the Corinthian church were visiting prostitutes uh, because of a low view of the human body. And... um, they were by analogy saying food for the stomach and stomach for the food for food, but both will be done away with. And so they were saying eh, the body for sex and sex for the body, but it doesn't matter because they're unimportant. Uh, they will be done away with the body will be done away with. And Paul comes back there uh, with an amazing apologetic for sexual purity. And it starts with the proposition that God has an eternal plan. Paul says, no, that, that um, apparent equivalence is not there. Your, your body's not just like uh, in sex. Uh, the relationship there is different than food in, in your body. You, um, God has an eternal plan for your body. He's going to raise your body. And then he says your body is actually temple of the Holy Spirit. So you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You're bought with a price. And so how do you, if, you're a, if your body is actually a member of Christ, how do you take a member of your body as a member of Christ and join it to a harlot, to a prostitute 
and become one body with her because the sexual act is more than just purely a biological act. There's a life-uniting dimension to that. And so that's his whole apologetic for sexual purity. God, you can't just do whatever you want with your body because your body's unimportant and God's going to dispose of it someday. God doesn't dispose of bodies. Our bodies don't get reincarnated. They get resurrected. God has an eternal plan for your body, and that's to resurrect your body. And uh, in Romans chapter 8, we see Paul elaborate on this to say that our salvation right here, right now, is the implications of being saved and renewed in Christ's resurrection power, making us alive inside, have not been fully realized yet. The full completion of Jesus' saving work will be the resurrection of our bodies. And so Philetus and and um, and his friend, who's, uh, who's Hymenius, whose name I'm looking for here, uh, Philetus and, and Hymenius. Not one you use every day. It's so not one, yeah, and that, I can't so. even pronounce it, right, I don't think. <laughs> Uh, they've departed from the truth. They say the resurrection has also taken place. So this is what Paul's writing in Second Timothy 2. They say it's already taken place. In other words, in this, in this Greek worldview, in part, in, uh, translated into the Christian worldview, um, the body's not important, but it's what happens to you spiritually. So spiritually, you're born again. Spiritually, you've been raised from the dead. And that part of the gospel is true. And so they, they said, they were saying, there's no future resurrection to look forward to of your body, which then licenses all kinds of moral compromise that Paul would describe again in later in this letter, as well as in first Timothy, uh, you, you know, some of these spiritual leaders were taking advantage sexually of vulnerable women in the church. They were, uh, they were rationalizing all of this immorality around the fact that it doesn't matter what you do with your body because your body's unimportant. It's going to be done away with someday. But what's happening in your hearts? What's really important? We're seeing versions of that with the grace teaching now, like under God's grace, you're made alive by God's spirit. God's grace covers all your sin, uh, and so, um, and so, you know, it doesn't matter really how you live. God's grace will cover it all, and and this falls into all these kind of things that can doom people to hell. I mean, you know, it, it can license sinful lifestyles untransformed by God. And, and so this idea of will your body be resurrected someday becomes, becomes very, very important. There's a great phrase in here too, where Paul's concern is obviously the theological error of this false teaching, but it's also broader than that. He specifically says that these false teachings can spread like gangrene, mm-hmm. that there's a sense of not only needing to correct this false teaching, but also recognizing that false teaching in general has a way of just sort of spreading, yeah. of sort of growing throughout the church. I was curious your, your take on that and, and your experience of that today as well. Uh, we translate in English gang, gangrene, which, which is pretty vivid and pretty accurate. The Greek word that Paul uses was actually a medical term that the Ephesians would have recognized to speak of a malignant growth that eats up healthy tissue. And that's pretty instructive. I mean, that's exactly what false teaching will do. It'll eat up health and leave you with sickness and leave you in a weakened condition and even a terminal condition. And and so this false teaching, I mean, uh, you know what? Healthy teaching of scripture, just like healthy leaders, 
read healthy churches, unhealthy teaching, unhealthy leaders eventually breed unhealthy churches and unhealthy followers of Christ. It, I've seen it happen. I've seen even small aberrations. Like, for instance, I mentioned the grace teaching. I've seen aberrations in the other direction where there's not enough grace, where people are subjected to legalism, where if you sin at all, it means you do not love God and it leaves you no place to come back. I've seen thing, teachings like that just leave people in a spiritually destructive place. And it's like gangrene. It just eats all the health in you. And God wants us to be healthy spiritually. He wants us to be, this is not a good analogy probably, but he wants us to be happy campers. You know, he wants us to be healthy and whole. And yeah, we suffer. Yeah, we're facing challenging things. Yeah, we may need to lay down our lives for the Lord. But but there's just a wholeness inside. And good doctrine brings good health to our hearts. It doesn't leave us condemned. It doesn't leave us frustrating. It doesn't leave us feeling like we can never do enough. Uh, and on the other hand, it doesn't leave us, um, you know, we're just not even sure what's right and wrong anymore in our lives. You know, it it, it helps us know what's right. It, it It just keeps us holy and it keeps us healthy. There's a description Paul uses in here of instead this firm foundation that Timothy is supposed to be working towards and putting in place, and he uses these two statements to do it. So um, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. It strikes me as a little bit of what you're describing there as well, too, that, that by the gospel there is this kind of balance of I'm God's it is secure. There's a kind of confidence, but at the same time, I also am given clarity about what is right and wrong. What is sin? Um, how does right doctrine give us that the balance of those two things that otherwise seem to not exist? What well, right Paul to it here? Yeah. All right. Gospel doctrine ought to lead us to a sense of security in Christ that we belong to Him. This is the foundation of the Lord, and the foundation there would probably be Paul's probably talking about Scripture as well as the ongoing work of God in that church in Ephesus. And he said, the fact is, the Lord knows who are his. This would be in contrast to, for instance, Hymenius and Philetus that he refers to a few verses earlier. Uh, They would not be on that list. We don't know who Philetus was, but um, Hymenius, he does mention at the end of the first chapter, 1 Timothy. And he says three things about Hymenius. First of all, he's rejected faith and a good conscience. So Hymenius was one of those guys. He just kept doing things, violated his conscience. Because when God's touched you, when he's made you new, when you're first exposed to the gospel, as Hymenius would have been, um, we have a conscience, you know, and, and we know that certain things, but that conscience can be seared and hardened. And he kept making choices that violated a good conscience, as well as faith, the core doctrine of the gospel. And so he rejected faith and a good conscience. Therefore, Paul said he shipwrecked his faith. So his spiritual condition looked more like a shipwreck than a, than a happy, healthy, you know, humble follower of Jesus. And so Paul said, I had to turn Hymenius over to the devil so that he would be taught not to blaspheme. Now, Anywhere from half a year to a couple years later, Paul's writing him back. And apparently, Hymenius has not improved. He's still preaching. uh, He's still preaching 
uh, that there's no resurrection of the body in the future. Therefore, there's probably a lot of promiscuous lifestyle you're free to indulge in. And that sin is destroying people spiritually. And, and so, and so he, he is saying, but there are people in the Ephesian church that haven't gone that way. The Lord knows who, who belong to him. And he also, he also, this is his foundation. If you do belong to him, you do move away from a sinful lifestyle. You do realize that holiness is not an old-fashioned word, that holiness is at the heart of who God is, and God calls us to a holy lifestyle. It does matter what we do with our bodies. It does matter how we talk to other people in our lives. It does matter what we do when nobody else is watching. These things really matter in the sight of God. And so... um, um, these are two brilliant declarations. Here's the foundation of what God's doing in the church. It's the scripture, but also it's the reality that by his spirit, God has people who genuinely belong to him. He's got their names written down and, uh, and that they're living a holy lifestyle. That's, that's pretty incredible. It's not that they're just being entertained not they're just being licensed to do what they want, but they're living a holy lifestyle. Yeah, we've pointed out before that often the things that Paul's drawing attention to here are not the spectacular things, but there is a kind of a kind of steadiness and a kind of confidence to what Paul's describing. That at the end of the day, for all of the swirling controversies, for all of the quarreling over words, for all of the spread of false teaching and the lifestyles that are coming along with it, Paul just says sort of simply, at the end of the day, God knows. And at the end of the day, those who are really searching for God will live holier lifestyles. Nothing flashy, nothing glamorous. He's not saying we'll be successful, but just that they will move away from sin. It is an inevitability if they're really pursuing God. And God knows. Uh, it seems like such a humble, humble, but such a, a foundational statement. I'm so glad you said that because when I was describing you belong to Jesus and you live a holy life, I mean, flashing through my mind was, oh, this is so basic. Yeah, I've said this before. Yeah, yeah. right. And um, But this is what Paul brings them back to. And what better thing is there than to belong to Jesus and, and to live right? I mean, what? where do you want to go from there? You know, sensationalism, entertainment? No, I'd rather in the end, have the happiness of holiness in my life and the joy of knowing what it is just to belong to Jesus. We come back to what we've talked about before Jesus, uh, after he sends his disciples out on that missionary trip, um, you know, they're saying, Oh man, Jesus, I mean, bodies were healed. Demons were cast out. And Jesus said, yeah, that was all pretty great, but don't rejoice about that. Just rejoice that your name's written in heaven. Just rejoice. You belong to God. And, and, and that, that, that core thing, needs never to get old in our lives. We need never to lose the awe of that. Yeah, it feels like that's a particular challenge today because um, it's never been so easy to be exposed to all of the false teaching or just to be exposed to the the controversies, the endless quarreling. You know, I get home from church on a Sunday having preached. I open my, you know, YouTube. Uh, I like to watch a sailing show that comes out on Sundays, yeah. but what's the first thing in the feed? It's three or four different churches. They're live streams, right? And so you can jump in and watch another service right away. Or if I switch on the news or social media, it's just endless controversy and often Christians in conflict with each other. And um, 
it feels like one of the things I've always, but we've been kind of talking about social media of the last few episodes. One of the things I always get concerned about too is I'm, it's so easy to have an opinion so quickly. And I worry that those opinions begin to solidify before I've actually actually had an opinion or I write, I react and that becomes my opinion. And so it is, it feels like the moment we're living in. It's, I know this even for the people of my congregation. I'm keenly aware I'm not the only one that they're listening to preach right. throughout the week. In fact, they'll send me sermons, you know, from yeah. different pastors, different churches. And, and I'm not opposed to that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong, but I'm also aware they're getting all sorts of streams of influence into their life, all kinds of teaching, some of it good, but often some of it complicated as well. It's just really hard to do this today. Yeah, I'm guessing half the people in the congregation I pastor, and I love the congregation I pastor, and they're wonderful, and this may be a sign of their spiritual zeal and hunger is a good thing. But on the other hand, I think half the people in our congregation probably watch, in in addition to the service they either watch or attend here at our church, uh, they probably consume two or three other church services online every week. And if it's not a whole church service, they probably listen to four or five other preachers every week because everybody's got their favorite. We can easily access on that YouTube feed the best preachers in the world. So I, I go to church and listen to Bradford, but, but hey, I also listen to, and they'll list off three or four of their favorite preachers. And um, we're consuming a lot. And it's all available right there on our phones. And well, and now we've got this whole sorry to interrupt, but this whole new category I'm seeing too, where they're not pastors or preachers, but they're YouTube commentators who are commenting on clips of pastors preaching right. or commenting on trends in the church. And they don't really bear. And I'm not I'm not entirely opposed to what they're doing, but they also don't bear this responsibility of being a pastor to a congregation. It's Christian commentary you know, yeah. on, for followers on YouTube, I, I get sent a lot of those clips from people as well. Yeah. You know, I do want to say that I'm, I'm glad there's better preachers than me out there, you know, and I don't mind. I'm, I'm glad people are, are authentically hungry for the word of God, but, um, Paul just keeps it really simple. He said, walk in the joy of belonging to Jesus and live a holy life. And, uh, you know, don't let other voices make it more complicated than that for you. And and that's really where it comes down to. And I, I think some of us, you know, we live in towns where I was talking to somebody the other day, I live in a small town. Yeah, there's one evangelical church that I, I would probably identify with, but they told me the preacher does nothing but tell funny stories. And there's really, sometimes there's hardly even a scripture verse read, and that's the sermon. And I, I don't get anything out of it. And, you know, those are hard things. And so they said, you know, so we, we tune into your church because we get a little more. But so I, I, I don't I understand all that. But on the other hand, um, you know, be grateful for whatever church you are a part of and for whatever you can get out of it and 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 be rooted there because you need the fellowship, you need the relationship. Uh, you need the accountability for your life to keep living holy, and um, it, it's pretty complicated out there right now. Don't spend a lot of your energy just critiquing other ministries, and sometimes we like to do that, and especially what you just mentioned. I read one yesterday. Is somebody critiquing everything was wrong with another ministry, and it, it really 
you know, in a, in a perversely seductive way draws you in and makes something, it's kind of like gossip, just kind of draws the worst out of you. It just kind of fascinates you and draws you in. And we just have to be so careful with all the voices out there. Yeah. Now they didn't have media in, in the first century, but obviously everybody was quarreling all the time about secondary issues in this church. Paul keeps bring it up over and over again. Yeah. And and so he has to say, you know what? God's foundation is this. It's not the stuff you argue about. It's do you belong to me and do you live a holy life? Yeah. I have a little matrix very informally that I'll use for trying to gauge, should I care about this right now? And when it comes to church conversations, I'll ask myself, do I go to church there? No, <laughs> outside of my church. Yeah. Do I know someone who goes to church there that is having this question? Oftentimes the answer is no to that as well. Do we have some sort of partnership or relationship that a question could arise from? Usually that question's no as well too. You start kind of working through those questions and you realize even me having an opinion about this has no bearing on anything in reality. And you start to recognize maybe this is a place where it's okay for me just not to have an opinion or not to know enough to have an opinion. Yeah, that's a great grid. That's a very helpful grid. Run that pass as one Well, add your own, but I, yeah. sometimes I'll do this because I'll get questions from people. Yeah. Did you see what such and such church did? What do you think? Well, yeah. I don't go to that church. Right. You know, no one in my family that I'm responsible right. for having conversations with goes to that church. The person I'm talking about it with doesn't go to that church. So there's no connection. No, there. we're not. An, they're not a part of a fellowship or a part of right. a section or we don't share any ministry that would be impacted by it. So at the end of the day, like... I have absolutely no connection to this question outside of just the abstractness of the question itself. Well, it's probably a place where it's okay for me to just not have an opinion. That's brilliant. That's really helpful. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes you do. Sometimes those are people in that congregation whose loved one is and is caught up in what they worry about the false teaching. And then, well, let me, let me look into it and think about it. But more often than not, I find myself realizing, yeah, this isn't really a place where even if I had a strong opinion, it would matter for anything. Right. Yeah. Well, um, I think we can move into some prayer. Um, uh, we've been a little wide ranging on this one as well, too. But uh, I think we're unpacking a reality of these the sim- simple things that Paul is calling us to. God knows these two foundations. God knows. And those who are following him will move towards holiness. Yeah. Um, it is really easy to get distracted from those things right now. Uh, so there's a part of me that just as we turn to a time of prayer, wants to just be able to pray um draw my heart back to those simple things in a genuine way. Um, yes. I've always been struck by, you know, we did this a lot when we talked about leadership together. You have a way of always bringing things back to my relationship with God, that we can't allow these conversations to become abstract. They can't just be philosophical in nature. At some point, these have to track back to a personal, genuine relationship with Christ. And so uh, I want that to be true. I want that to be true of the way I'm handling the controversies, the questions, the challenges of my day that, sure, I'm willing to have opinions, I'm willing to do a little research and listen, but at the end of the day, that can't come at the expense of my relationship with Christ, my growing presence and experience of of God as well. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus. You loved the world so much. You sent your own Son. Whoever believes in you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you that through the substitutionary death and resurrection of Christ, we can die to the old and be made alive to him. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Above all, we can belong to you through Jesus. 
And we pray if there's any question about our standing with you. Lord, you who says, uh, here's what I've inscribed on my foundation. I know those who are mine. We, we just pray that the certainty of belonging to you will come, that your spirit will bear witness with our spirits that we are children of God adopted into your family, not because of our impressiveness, but because of your grace, what you did on behalf of us. Thank you. We can just belong to you. May there never be anything greater or more fascinating in our lives than that we belong to you, that you have our names engraved. Lord, in your book, thank you, Lord, for belonging. Thank you that you claim us. Thank you that you, with belonging to you, you cover us and you love us and you watch out for us and you guide us. And we praise you for this. And Lord, we thank you for these bodies you've given us. Uh, We thank you they are the temples of the Holy Spirit. You're going to raise them again in the last day. And they don't belong to us. They belong to you. You bought them, purchased our bodies with your blood. And so we pray that our bodies will live out the life of Jesus in a holy way, that we will delight in belonging to you and we will delight in living lives of holiness. We pray you'll continue to renovate our affections. Help us to love what you love and hate what you hate and help us to use our bodies as instruments of righteousness, not instruments of sin. My God, we pray that you will help us to live for you and and keep it simple, Lord. And may we just be overwhelmed with your presence, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May we just love living in fellowship with you throughout the day and uh, listening to you and yielding to your spirit to obey you in holiness. We thank you for this. We pray you'll help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast. We would uh, really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us some feedback on the show. You can do that by leaving a rating or by typing out a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we hope you might consider subscribing to the show. We're looking forward to a lot of the conversations to come in the weeks ahead, and it would mean a lot to us if you'd be a part of those. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to ask Pastor Jim to hear him cover, we'd appreciate it if you'd take the time to send those in. You can do that by email by going to questions at jimbradford.org. We'd love to be able to take a look at those and get them featured on the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.